The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. Thank you for joining me. Uh, Today, I have a show that I think is is important, especially if this is your first baby, but even if it's not. You know, so often over the last three decades or so, what I've found is that parents have read books and they're pretty smart. They know what's going on about breastfed babies. Parents know how often babies need to eat and how much they should consume and how should they should behave and all of that. They, they, they seem to know those kinds of things. And all of the things that they've read are probably true. But it's not necessarily true in the first three days or so. Those first three days or first few days are a little different. So what I'm aiming to do here today is to help you to sort out what's what while you're still in that getting acquainted period, those first two to three days. Now, I'm going on the big assumption here that you've given birth in a hospital. But even if you haven't, much of what I'm going to say is about the same thing. The first and most important thing that I want you to know and be prepared for is that babies should have the opportunity to be skin to skin and to suckle as soon as they possibly can after you've given birth to your baby. Now, a lot of times people will think that the baby is going to be on the perineum and then they're going to just instantly crawl right up to the breast. And actually, that doesn't really happen necessarily that way. They certainly could. But more often, it takes a little while. And it takes even longer if the baby has been exposed to medication while the mother has been in labor. But pretty much what happens is that they kind of are there and they kind of say, okay, let's see here. I think I've had a long trip, but I think it's time for me to eat. And so if they've not been exposed to medications during labor and delivery, they will very likely then crawl up to the breast and you're wondering, so how exactly do they know enough to do that? Well, they see a target, okay? Babies really like geometric figures. So what they see 
and it, this is a great reason for actually not being clothed in labor. What they see is these really, really dark and really, really everted nipples. And the darkness and the erectness of the nipples at that time is much more dramatic than it will be at other times. So it's almost as though the baby kind of has like this bullseye uh, target to hit. And he knows enough to do that. But also, he smells the milk. So he will use that stepping reflex to literally walk up to the nipple. And he kind of digs his little heels right into the mother's belly, which, of course, massages her uterus, which is really great. And what happens is he gets up to the breast and he may or may not suckle. Let me kind of clue you in here. I know that that's the whole idea, is that people think that the baby is just going to get on and instantly attach. And maybe he does. And it, it, uh, that's great. If he does, that's really great. But having worked labor and delivery many years myself, I always would say to mothers, if the baby gets up there and if he doesn't do anything more than lick and cuddle, it's a total success. It is a total success. Remember, the baby is recovering. So what you really want him to do is to be skin to skin so that he can recover while you're recovering. He's had a long trip too, remember. And if he suckles, that's a bonus. He gets that colostrum. That's a happy thing. All righty. So the next thing then usually starts to come around is that mothers who have had a cesarean will ask me, oh, but I don't know if it's okay to have my pain medicine that my doctor ordered for me. And then I have to go through my whole explanation that it is okay. Uh, Pain medic, in my experience at least, the pain medications that are ordered on a postpartum floor are safe for breastfeeding mothers. So, in other words, the doctor doesn't stop and think about whether or not Mrs. Smith or Mrs. Jones is breastfeeding. When he orders that pain medication, he assumes, he assumes that you are breastfeeding and he is very familiar with the kinds of drugs that would be safe for the breastfeeding mother. You might have had uh, oxycodone and acetaminophen. I hate to use brand names, but you probably know it as Percocet. You might have, for example, morphine. I know that morphine always sounds like a big gun drug, but actually it's a really safe drug if used appropriately. Uh, Another one is um, uh, something like Ketorolac, or you probably know it as Toradol. Those are, uh, again, just ones that I personally have given. I know that many people have given and you should feel okay about that because you know what? If you don't have adequate pain relief, you are not going to be able to breastfeed or do anything else for that matter, okay? I always say mothers have to feel like like they have enough pain met on board to feel human. So that's kind of that real super initial period. Okay, let me move then to explaining that I believe that all of the mechanisms that the baby comes equipped with, all of these mechanisms are designed for survival. 
I'm thinking, for instance, of those primitive reflexes, and one of them I already mentioned to you. Something like, for instance, that stepping reflex. The baby will walk up to the breast, given the opportunity, that is. The rooting reflex. Again, when something is near the baby's chin, he will automatically root towards it. That's a primitive reflex. And there are many others as well. I probably could do the whole show on just primitive reflexes. But what I'd like to explain to you is that the baby comes fully equipped for survival. Your job is to just let him do it. Okay? Babies will find their food by sight and by smell. And one of the things that's really important is to be sure that you are with your baby. As soon as you start having separation, it is not a good sign, okay? When the baby gets uh, separated from you to be weighed or measured or given a shot or any of those things, it kind of upsets the apple cart. So you really want to maintain that close proximity. So then let's look at what happens when Okay, we're down the road a few hours later, and you get what I would call just basic communication from the baby. He gives off a lot of feeding cues. For instance, one of the first ones would be what I call, I'm in the mood for food cues. And here, you have the the baby who is awake. He may be stirring or gazing, but he's just awake not necessarily doing much more. He may be opening his mouth. That's called the oral searching reflex. Or he may be turning his head from side to side. Or he may be rooting. I know that when I am the nurse and I pick up a baby and he's rooting towards my scrub clothes, okay, that is a sign that he's in the mood for food. Another one is, I'm hungry. And you will notice if he's saying, I'm hungry, when he starts stretching, or he might have increased movements. This is what I call riding the bicycle, okay? You'll see his little legs are going around and around, kind of like an older child if they were riding a bike. He may be bringing hands to mouth or bringing hands to the midline of his body. They don't have to necessarily touch, but that's the idea. He is saying, I'm hungry, And then we start going down kind of another path where he says, oh, I am so hungry. I am too hungry to eat. I am so frustrated. And that baby needs consolation. He needs skin to skin, talking to, singing to, stroking, white noise, any of that kind of stuff will really help that baby really a lot. If you've ever been in a restaurant and you're really, really hungry, I know this happens to me sometimes, I am so hungry and so frustrated that I can't even read the menu and think about what I want. And generally, my wonderful husband just says, how about this, dear? Okay, good. But you get where I'm going. The baby is in the same situation that he's so frustrated. And then what you'll see is crying. when. You see crying, it's largely because the baby has been separated from the mother. And this is a very interesting phenomenon. Like other mammals, you'll see that newborns who are separated from their mothers exhibit what's called a protest despair response. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. 
Uh, during this protest despair response, they have what is known in the animal kingdom as a separation distress call. And this is in a very, uh, actually a couple of really interesting studies by Christensen et al. And what they show here is that the the call that this baby gives very much mimics what the, would be given to the baby uh, given to the mother if the the bear cub or or one of those animals would be lost in the wild so they have shown that in fact this is so similar and what happens is that the stress hormones rise, the baby's temperature pulse and respiration rise, and his blood sugar levels are altered. And non-response in this situation generally leads to what's called a despair mode. That's what Nils Bergman calls it, is a despair mode. So basically what I've tried to go through for you here is what happens from the time that the baby is born the fact that he's doing some of these behaviors a little bit later. And it's really important for you to be clued into what he needs, what he wants. When we come back, I will be talking about some others' early behaviors. A little bit on sleep-wake states, more about milk production, stomach capacity, positioning, and so forth. So, Hold on to your hat. That's all I have for this segment. And we'll be right back, right after this break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to energy medicine and optimal health with your host, Dr. Ann Deatley. We'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuso with Born to be Breastfed. Okay, so before the break, we were talking a little bit about those really super early behaviors and cues that babies exhibit. And before I go on, I want to mention what sort of seems like you should know. But I want to make sure that you recognize that in the first 24 hours or so after birth, babies are mostly asleep. They're kind of like, ho-hum, yeah, yeah, I'll get around to it when I get around to it. And that is probably physiologic for babies. We really don't have a lot of data as to how often the baby needs to eat. I have worked in hospitals where everybody got kind of nuts if the baby didn't eat in three or four hours, and I don't think that's very realistic. And then I've worked in other hospitals where really doctors as well as staff have been much more laid back about the fact that in the first 24 hours, babies have these extra fluids on board. And so it's it's not as big of a deal as it starts to become a little bit later on. So after that first 24-hour period, that is when you start to really think about how you need to be looking at feeding the baby early and often, early and often, early and often. I swear when I die, that'll be on my tombstone, early and often, okay? But in the the kind of the 24 to 48 hours, they will be more frequent feeds, but still minimal. And then by about 48 hours, what you will see is many, many, many feedings. The baby is like, wow, I've got real food here. And he just kind of goes to town. So let me talk first then about milk production. In the first 24 hours, now this is a fact, in the first 24 hours, mothers produce an average of 2 to 10 milliliters. And I'm saying 2 to 10 milliliters in the first 24 hours. Okay? And you, you shouldn't take my word for it, but the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine recently put out there, well, it wasn't so recently, but a couple of years ago, put out their protocol that clearly stated that. Now, just to give you an idea, two milliliters is about two drops out of an eyedropper. Even if you are a super producer in the first day, you will only have about 10 milliliters. Or 10 milliliters is uh, about two teaspoons, okay? I believe that one teaspoon is five mLs. So just remember that in the first 24 hours, baby isn't eating a whole lot, but you don't have a whole lot of colostrum. Okay, then move to the 24 to 48 hours. The average amount of colostrum that a woman has is about 5 to 15 mils. 48 hours, look at how much this picks up. At 48 to 72 hours, 
a woman has an average of 15 to 30 milliliters of colostrum. Now, 30 milliliters is, uh, it's about the size of a medicine cup, or it's about six teaspoons, however you prefer to look at it. And then it's 72 hours, about three days. Right about in there is where the woman starts to average about 30 to 60 milliliters. And that is way, way more. Now, just a word here. I am assuming most of the time when I talk that you have a baby who's actually suckling at your breast. But it's possible that you have a baby who's ill. He might be in the NICU and he might be totally unable to suckle. Note that if you are pumping for that baby or expressing milk, um, it wouldn't be uncommon if you got like just a few drops the first time. Do not be discouraged if you get zero the second time that you express, okay? Remember that the pump is not a baby, and take heart, it will get better. So let's go back to the baby, though, that really is there, really suckles. Remember that on the first day, the baby's stomach doesn't expand the way it does later, and it's pretty little anyway. So the baby is not going to be needing a whole lot of food. One of the things that you might ask yourself is, okay, how am I going to get this baby positioned? Certainly, you can do all of those what I call angular positions that I've taught for many, many years. But I would really strongly urge you to look at what's called biological nurturing. And I'll say that again. It's biological nurturing positions. This is the genius work of Dr. Suzanne Colson. She published her article in 2008. I have read it many, many times. She's also got videos for purchase, and she's got a short video on the web, and I believe that that's biologicalnurturing.com. But what I want to impress upon you is how when a baby is in the first few days, these biological nurturing positions are extremely useful. And the other word for them would be ventral positioning. And by ventral, I mean on the front of the body. Okay? Now, there are basically four ventral positions. One might be where the baby's Okay, the baby's always got his mouth on on the breast, right? And the mother is lightly clothed, but the mother is not really positioning the baby. He's got his mouth on the breast, then his trunk and legs are below the mother's breast. So in other words, his feet are pointing towards her feet. Or you could do the baby's trunk and legs aimed towards the opposite breast. Okay, so that's like east and west. Or you can do with the baby's trunk and legs aimed towards the mother's back. So he's kind of just flopped across, and the feet are more like towards the mattress. And then finally, you can do another ventral position where the trunk and the legs are up over the mother's shoulder. Now, I know this looks kind of strange. It always kind of looks like the baby's upside down. But you know what? The baby doesn't know and doesn't seem to care. 
So any of those ventral positions can be really, really useful, especially in those first few days. If you've tried the standard cradle hold or cross cradle hold or football positions, uh, that's okay. And if it works for your baby, that's absolutely okay, okay, okay. But I would like to tell you that even though I believe in those positions, I've taught those positions hundreds if not thousands of times, I really do believe that this biological nurturing and these ventral positionings work better, especially in the first few days. Now, when you have the ventral positioning, you have the assistance of gravity, which you don't have with the traditional holds. And I would also say that those angular positions, the cradle hold, cross cradle, and so forth and so on, um, I think those work better when the baby is older. But I think that you will find that the baby will do really, really well in the first few days by just those, and sometimes it's called laid-back nursing. Okay, so the mother is kind of like, I usually get them up like about 20 degrees or so, uh, so that they're not flat. I, I don't put mothers flat, but I just raise them up just a little bit. And this is really helpful, so I would really encourage you to try that, especially if your baby is having difficulty. So let's talk about wet diapers and dirty diapers, because guess what? People always think the babies are going to have six to eight wet diapers, and that's just not true in the first few days. Here's something that's easy to remember. It may not be exactly accurate, but I've been teaching this to parents, and it works pretty well. On day one, I want to see at least one wet diaper. Certainly, they can have more. On day two, at least two wet diapers. On day three, at least, haha, you got it, three wet diapers. On day four, I want to see four to six wet diapers. And on day five, I want to see at least six wet diapers. So you can see that I am going towards the six to eight wet diapers eventually, but that's not realistic in the first three days or so. Similarly with stool output. Now, people get really confused about this. They've all heard, oh, well, breastfed babies don't have stools. Uh, They can go days without stools. Well, that's not really true for the really young infant for the newborn in the first few days, okay, that would be true for a baby who was more than a month old. But in the the day one, I want to see at least one thick, tarry, black stool. It's called meconium. meconium, excuse me. And it's slippery as all get out, which, by the way, if you're trying to get it off, you can use just a teeny bit of olive oil, and that helps to pull it off. I would say that most babies will pass that meconium within the first eight hours or so, and that's really great because if they don't pass that, it's going to be a setup for jaundice. So you really want to see that first meconium sooner rather than later, hopefully in the first eight hours, but definitely within the first day. On day two, I want to see at least two stools. They're usually meconium stools. On day three, I want to see at least three stools. And generally, those are less tarry black, and they're starting to become more of a yellow color, and that is good. By day four, I definitely, definitely, definitely want to see 
at least three stools that are yellow. If I don't see a yellow stool on day four, I'm concerned about the overall well-being of the baby. So basically what I've tried to hammer at you here is that babies don't need a lot of food. Mothers don't produce a lot of food in the first three days, and hence babies don't put out a lot of stool or a lot of wet diapers. But that's age appropriate. Do a lot of skin to skin, and you will be just super good. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I will be talking about some unresolved issues. I'm Marie Biancuso with Born to be Breastfed. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, I'm Marie Biancuso. And welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. Now, today we're talking about those first two to three days, either in the hospital or at home. And in the previous segment, I talked a little bit about how milk is made, but also about how little babies actually need or want. Now, in this segment, I'm going to talk more about some issues that you might have experienced before you left the hospital, and now you find yourself trying to deal with them at home. Now, I picked three. 
heaven only knows if that's really the, the issue that you might have had, but I've picked the three that I think I've probably had the most questions about over the years, and that would be sore nipples, engorgement, and jaundice, but there certainly could be others. <coughs> if you have a question on something different, please feel free to send me email. That's radio at borntobebreastfed.com. I'll be happy to take your questions. Again, I will repeat that. It's radio at borntobebreastfed.com. All right, so let's talk about sore nipples. First of all, what do we know about sore nipples? Do they have to happen? Are they always bad? There's a lot of confusion about that. I could just talk for like days about sore nipples, but let me try to just cut it down to this. In the first day or two, you may find that your nipples are tender. And by that, I mean that the baby is doing a lot of suck, 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 sucking. And every time that he's sucking, he is applying negative pressure. Because there's not much volume of milk, he has very few swallows. When he has more swallows, then he lifts that negative pressure and you feel better. Hence, the more volume that you have, the less unrelieved negative pressure you will be experiencing. And so generally, it pretty much goes away by day three or so. Now, that being said, I would be very eager to tell you that I have seen most people who have sore nipples do not have a pathological disease type problem, okay? That's certainly possible, but most likely what they've got, if they have sore nipples beyond day two or so, what they've probably got is a baby who is not well attached. It is extremely important that you get your baby very well attached, that he has a deep latch, that he's taking in as much of the nipple in a real eye as he possibly can. If that is not happening, you will have sore nipples and you will continue to have sore nipples and you need to get help. So, That is what I would say about sore nipples. I'm not of the uh, persuasion that nobody ever has sore nipples, and if you're doing it right, you're never going to have sore nipples. I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that. But I would say tender nipples in the first day or two, just because of that unrelieved negative pressure, and then by day three, you should be getting better. And certainly if you see redness or cracks, you need to be calling for help. Okay, next one is pathologic engorgement. This is really important because when the breasts are pathologically engorged, there is a lot of pressure on the milk-making cells, and when that happens, it reduces your milk supply. And oh, by the way, you're uncomfortable. So it's really important to, as I like to tell mothers many times, remove to refill, remove to refill, remove to refill. And whatever you do, don't stop nursing. Some people will say, well, no, I thought that if I put the baby to breast more often, I would be making more milk and I have too much already. No, you don't. Trust me. Empty the breast. So somebody needs to say, well, Marie, back up a minute. You said pathologic engorgement, and I don't really know what that is. Okay, let me break that down for you. Physiologic engorgement is, and by the way, 
the word physiologic actually comes from a Greek word that means natural or nature. So if you find yourself with your breasts filling up, that is a good thing. Your breasts are supposed to fill up when you have a baby. So that's good. But in that case, your breasts will be mostly soft. Very often when I'm charting, I think about breasts as filling. You know, they're kind of firm, but they're kind of soft. But the baby can grasp the nipple and the skin looks pretty normal. That's very different from pathologic engorgement, which is not normal. Here, the breasts are hard. And I mean hard, hard, rock hard, like two concrete blocks on the front of your chest. Okay? That's really different. The nipple is hard. The baby can't grasp the nipple. And in fact, sometimes the nipple pretty much disappears. And the skin will look very shiny and taut. So, you want to relieve this because otherwise we're back to too much pressure on the cells. And so you'll be messing yourself up with not making enough milk. So what's the best way to relieve the pressure? Feed the baby. I want to strongly discourage you from using a pump if you have got pathologic engorgement if your breasts feel like two concrete blocks on the front of your chest, okay? I would say put the baby to the breast or use hand expression. But I've had too many mothers tell me that putting the pump on is just too painful. Now, problem is you've got this nipple that the baby can't really grasp very well. So what I would suggest that you do is just take do a little hand expression. Just get out a few milliliters, all right? Like like a teaspoon or two sometimes is enough right on the end there so the baby can grasp the nipple. Once the baby grasps the nipple, you're halfway home. If that doesn't work, you can try some warmth to the breast, and then sometimes it'll just come spewing out. That would be helpful as well, but you want to get the baby on there. Get that breast emptied. You know, of course, the breast is never really empty. It's just like no matter how long you cry, your eyeballs are never empty. You still have more tears, that kind of thing. But you should be asking yourself, so wait a minute, how did I get myself in this situation in the beginning? Well, there are a number of factors that can play into that source of pressure. For instance... Skipping feedings during the first couple of days, don't do it. Don't do it. If you asked the nurse to let you sleep through the night when you were in the hospital, you may find that when you go home, you are pathologically engorged. And oh, by the way, it happens in the middle of the night when there's no nurse there to take care of you. I'm pretty confident of telling you that this happens in the middle of the night because I worked nights so many years that... I know what mothers call for, okay? (laughs) Uh, And that's one of them. But it also could be other things. It could be something like, for example, an ill-fitting bra. If your bra doesn't fit uh, fit well, that can be a source of pressure. Speaking of bras, by the way, if you missed it, go back to the archives and look at that show that I did, I'm thinking a month or so ago, with Robin Williams, and she talked about how to get a good fit for bras. She also offered 
to anyone listening to the show, a 10% discount on bras or any other product in the store. And that is at www.bosombuddies.com. I will repeat that. It's www.bosombuddies.com, B-O-S-O-M-B-U-D-D-I-E-S, 10% discount before the end of the year if you'd like to buy something. But you need to take a listen to that show because uh, Robin has fit over 12,000 bras. It was pretty interesting. So there are also some other things. It could be something like restrictive clothing, not just bras. It could be cosmetic surgery. Now, I'm going to have another guest that's going to talk about that. So I won't talk about that right now. The simplest way to deal with all of this is feed the baby. So that brings me then to unresolved jaundice. Um, A lot of kids get jaundice and it is true that breastfed babies seem to be more likely to be jaundiced than bottle-fed babies. But the truth of the matter is that a lot of this really just is dependent on the fact that babies need to be fed early and often, early and often, early and often, early and often. I can almost promise you that if you are breastfeeding your baby early and often, jaundice will be very unlikely to occur. And if it does, it will be minimal. If you find yourself dealing, though, with jaundice that's kind of lingered, what you'll find is sometimes the baby's kind of sleepy and then you're at home and you don't know what to do with this baby. Skin-to-skin contact. Try skin-to-skin contact. It really offers the baby the opportunity to be right at the breast so that he gets on and gets going as soon as he wakes up. Do not discontinue breastfeeding. Remember that colostrum is enormously important. It does have a laxative effect. But even if you're past the colostrum phase, there, there is still the effect that just... Your real milk, I hate to say real milk, but you know what I mean, your mature milk will have. So any of those things will be helpful for you. And I would suggest just kind of like staying right on it here. Okay. So in this segment, basically, we've talked a little bit about sword nipples, what's normal, what's not. We've talked about engorgement, what's normal, what's not what to do about it in both of those cases, actually, and then a little bit on jaundice. Notice two messages that I keep hammering at. Skin-to-skin contact, breastfeed early and often. Skin-to-skin contact, breastfeed early and often. That will solve so many, or sometimes it even prevents problems before they happen. So that's where you want to be. Okay, I'm Marie Biancuzzo with Born to be Breastfed. We'll be right back after this short break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you, too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that, too, through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to Be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Born to Be Breastfed. I'm Marie Biancuto. Okay, so in the last segment, we talked about some of those lingering issues that sometimes kind of follow you home. And now I'm going to talk with you a little bit about that being at home and being the breastfeeding mother. And I'm going to suggest that you really sort of got four things that I want you to focus on. I want you to focus on your recovery, focus on learning about your baby, focus on falling in love with your baby, and finally, bask in the loveliness of helping loved ones, of helpful loved ones, sorry. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk first then about that focus on recovery. Now, your baby is recovering, and as a new mother, you're recovering. Your body needs to rest and heal and transition to its new state. Now, think about this. You wouldn't expect yourself to be doing all of the usual things if you had just, oh, say, broken your arm, or you'd undergone surgery, or you'd come down with some kind of an illness. And... Childbearing is not an illness, it's not a broken arm, but, you know, it does take its toll on the body. So I think it's really useful to just simmer down, settle down, and just focus on that healing process. In some cultures, by the way, 
they have a 40-day routine of just focusing on that healing. So remember, this is a time when the mother and the baby's needs are best met by each other. It's like this little honeymoon for the mom and the baby. The baby's presence stimulates the mother's body in healing, that is, with uterus and lactation. And the mother's body provides that nourishment and comfort for the baby as he transitions. Second one is focus on learning about your baby. Mothering is really a a dance. It's a chance to learn about your baby. So just like dancing, at first, you know, quite honestly, it's kind of awkward. Partners step on each other's toes and they go in the wrong direction. And sometimes they do the foxtrot when the music is playing the waltz. No worries. In the next moment, you can regroup. It's a dance. It'll work. Now, the first three days are not about getting the baby on a schedule or sleeping through the night. Those days are really a chance to just focus on the baby. Learn the early signs of feeding. Consider it communication. And learn how your baby is beginning to express his other needs. And by all means, feed early and often. But focus on learning about your new partner, your baby. The third one is about falling in love. You know, skin-to-skin contact is not something to be done in the hospital and then forgotten about forever. Skin-to-skin contact is touching and cuddling, and research shows that adults do better when they can enjoy a back rub or shucks, even a handshake. We have tons of research that shows that that babies do better when they have human contact. So the obvious thing to do is have more human contact. Lots of close contact comforts the baby who's coming into the new world. It provides better rest, better thermoregulation, and it can be also a comfort to the mother who might be a little shell-shocked in her new role. I should also tell you that research clearly shows, clearly, clearly shows that babies who are in skin-to-skin contact cry less. Would you like to have a baby who cries less? I bet you you would. Here's your magic bullet. And then finally, bask in the loveliness of those helpful people who really want to help you, but you also kind of have to set some limits. Now, remember to help the baby's father to find ways to be involved. One of the things I've noticed over the years is that sometimes what happens is that some expert says to the father, oh, and you can change the diapers. And I'm thinking, oh, great. I'm sure that would be really exciting. If I was a father, that would be my job. Thanks a heap. No, think of ways that the father can nurture the baby, okay? That might be singing to the baby, rocking the baby. It might be something like infant massage, a wonderful, wonderful way to have touch for that baby or any number of other things. I would suggest that you strongly consider hiring a postpartum doula. 
The doula can be tremendously helpful in terms of getting things done around the house, maintaining a quiet environment. Um, sometimes running interference for families and friends who might otherwise overstay their welcome and helping out with the older kids. This is what these women do. They are totally wonderful. Hire a doula. It isn't that much money. Plan in advance to communicate the goals clearly and consistently to your family and set the, the stage. For example, here might be one thing. Somebody says, oh, I want to drop off meals. Good. That's great. Terrific. But have one of those ice chest thingies out on your porch so that you don't have to invite that person in and then they tire you out and you get just kind of done in. Here's another one. I can remember a woman several years ago who told me, oh, yes, every time that the doorbell rings, I put on my pajamas and I answer my door in the pajamas. Because when I have my pajamas on, people say, oh, well, um, I can um, see you're resting. Terrific. That's exactly what she wanted to do. She wanted to make sure that she wasn't in a situation where she always had to respond. Okay? So, these kinds of things will help you to get organized. And in most cases, what happens is the extended family knows that they're going to be helping the babe, helping you while you take care of the baby. Okay, that is all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank you for staying with me today. It's been really fun having you. Please visit my website at borntobebreastfed.com for a preview of what's coming up next week. And if you're interested in professional continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember, I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. Again, that website is borntobebreastfed.com. I'm Marie Biancuto, and I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths, clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, just remember, your baby is born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.